0: The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Let me see. Speaking of seat, I'm going to be sitting on a stool. I did something on my back yesterday because I'm aging. And uh, mow the yard and throw my back out. So... Um, I hope you don't mind, I hope it's not distracting, but we are going to be looking at Proverbs 17, so if you open your Bible to Proverbs 17, looking at verses 15 through 28 this evening. Proverbs 17, verses 15 through 28. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word Let's give our attention. God speaks to us through it. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. Whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. A man of crooked heart does not discover good. The one with dishonest tongue falls into calamity. He who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. The discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. To oppose a fine on a righteous man is not good, nor to strike the nobler, rather the noble, for their uprightness. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a full spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. This concludes God's the reading of God's holy word. God now be pleased to add his blessing to it. I've seen this meme floating around. I'm not sure if you've seen it yourself. It's one where there's a news anchor, and he's describing a suspect of a crime. And you know how it is on the news. They have a little picture on the screen next to the anchor. And the picture of the suspect looks just like the news anchor. And the meme reads, this is me describing who's responsible for my sin. And in a lot of ways, that's the way it is with the book of Proverbs. Uh, The book of Proverbs is describing what a fool looks like and more times than not, describing us. But the book of Proverbs also is describing what a wise person looks like. And what we are seeing in Proverbs is in the description of a fool, describing our old man, describing our old self but in the description of the wise person describing our Lord Jesus Christ and really the new man into whose image we are being created. And so what the Proverbs is doing is it's calling us to throw off that old fool and to put on the new man, the wise man, to walk in that wisdom. And it's describing what that looks like for us, giving us instruction in How we are to, what we are to look like as new creatures in Christ. Of course, this comes through our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So we're going to look at four considerations to help put off the old fool and to put on the wise man. And I alliterated it again. Uh, Fairness, friend, fools, and fetter. My old pastor is going to be very disappointed in me. Four considerations, fairness, friend, Fools and fetter. So, first, fairness, that is doing justice. Verse 15, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So, this takes us in a courtroom scene where justice is to be done. And what injustice looks like, what is unjust, is to justify the wicked. That is, is to declare righteous the one who is guilty and should be condemned. And don't miss this. Here we see what the Bible means by justify. Roman Catholics will say to justify means to make somebody righteous, to transform somebody into righteousness. But if that was the case, then this verse wouldn't make any sense. If it is that it's an abomination to the Lord, To make somebody righteous who's wicked? That would make no sense. Why would the Lord, if that's the definition of justify, think it's an abomination to make righteous someone who's wicked? Rather, this is a declaration. This is declaring somebody righteous who is not righteous. That is an abomination to the Lord. And the other unjust thing mentioned here is to condemn the righteous that is to declare guilty the one who is righteous and innocent and in line with this is verse 26 to impose a fine on a righteous man is not good nor to strike the noble for their uprightness so we see a major perversion of justice here as well punishing a righteous man who's done no wrong fining him And strike in a noble person. This would be a civil magistrate, a Romans 13 minister, someone who holds a civil office. That's bad enough, but it's even worse to strike him because of his uprightness. That is a perversion of justice, someone who hates righteousness and loves unrighteousness. And the love of money also plays in. Verse 23, the wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. This is a person who could be paid off to render a verdict. Money or material possessions for gifts to render a verdict is not someone who loves what is right. To pervert justice, especially in justifying the wicked and condemning the righteous, is an abomination to God. It is not reflecting His righteous character. Because God is a God of justice and righteousness. He hates all injustice and unrighteousness. Now. You may be saying, wait a minute, isn't this what God did to save us? Didn't God condemn a righteous man, the Lord Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son on the cross to cancel out our sins? Doesn't Paul say in Romans 4-5 that God is a God who justifies the ungodly, literally justifies the wicked, which is exactly what Proverbs 17-15 says, is an abomination to the Lord. In the Gospel, God condemned a righteous man, Jesus. And He justifies the wicked, us. But if it's an abomination to the Lord, why does He do it? How do we reconcile these? Well, first off, Proverbs is talking about normal circumstances in civil society. It is a perversion of justice to acquit those who, who should face punishment and to condemn those who are innocent. It was wicked for the Jews to do what they did in condemning Jesus, a righteous man. But it was according to the plan of God all along to condemn Jesus, the righteous one, and justify us, the wicked one. So how can God be the one who does this, as Scripture testifies to? Well, this is where it's important to understand federal headship and its representation god sets up a representative to represent a people the first one was the first adam we got credit for his sin he sinned we stood condemned in god's wisdom god decided That representation, that once man's actions would represent a people. If Adam would have obeyed, we would have all received eternal life. And of course, nobody would complain about that. But because he did not obey and fell into sin, Romans 5 says that one trespass led to condemnation to all of us. But thanks be to God, he sent another Adam. His only begotten Son to be the representative of His people. and He was the one who was born of a woman, born under the law and obeyed the law perfectly in our place, fulfilling all righteousness. And as our representative, because He is our representative, we get credit for this righteousness. This righteousness gets imputed to us by virtue of federal headship. And so we are justified. By a very real righteousness, an actual righteousness. And that righteousness is not our own, but Christ's righteousness, which we get credit for because he is our federal head. This is the way God has set things up in his creation. And he, as our representative, got credit for our sin, so he gets condemned for very real sin, our sin. And because of federal headship, because of imputation, because He gets credit for our sin before He gets condemned, and we get credit for His righteousness on the basis of which we get justified, because of that, God can be both just and the justifier of the ungodly one who has faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's real righteousness that undergirds our justification but because our just God satisfied his justice justly, because he is just, let us emulate him in doing justly, in doing what is right in his eyes. Second consideration is friend. Look at verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So friend and brother here are to be taken synonymously. This proverb is holding up a picture of what a true friend and brother looks like. One that we should emulate. A friend loves at all times. Through good times, bad times. Whether you're a blessing or whether you are a pain, a friend loves you at all times. Now we tend to gravitate towards those who can bless us. We want to be around those who are enjoyable, those who don't cost us anything, those who aren't a sacrifice. We're, We're drawn towards the familiar. Because the awkward, uh, makes us uneasy. And when things get hard, when that person ceases to be a blessing, we want to withdraw. We want to stay away from that person. However, here God's Word says a friend is one who loves at all times, not just when a person is a blessing or can reciprocate blessing, but also when a person is difficult. You know, I read a story of a young couple named Ian and Larissa. And they were uh, courting, and they've been courting for a while. They are planning on getting married. And Ian was this, this intelligent, handsome, strong young man, very uh, attractive to Larissa. However, Ian got into a serious car accident and ended up with a traumatic brain injury. And so this intelligent Handsome, funny young man was no longer intelligent, was uh, not even able to spoon feed himself. He needed to be helped 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But nevertheless, Larissa decided to marry him, knowing the risk that, well, knowing that she would have to give up a lot, having children, and that he would not be a blessing back uh, to her in the normal way uh, that uh, many marriages are. But nevertheless, she was a friend to him. And she loved him through that adversity. And this is a great example of what it means to be a friend that loves at all times. Someone who's born for adversity. And while we may not be called to this particularly, yet we are called to love like this in the church body. That we who believe are all brothers in Christ. And as brothers, we are born for adversity. We have been born again for adversity. We are to love one another, even when we are difficult and hard to love. When we sin against one another, know the world and the devil rise up against us. But this is not the common thinking in churches today. This is not the common thinking when somebody's looking for a church. The common thinking is they want to be at a place where they're loved, where they're liked where people treat them well everyone reaches out to them Uh, if someone doesn't talk to them or offends them then they're out of that place they want to be at a place that's fun and they want to go to a place where people like them and are like them and you see advertisement or videos for churches you kind of see the slow motion camera moving around and people smiling and raising their hands and Pastor up there preaching the best sermon ever, and just everybody's so happy. And people are drawn to that and say, Oh, that's the church I want to be at. And I think, why don't we make an advertisement that says, here, you're gonna to have to endure adversity. You're gonna be need you're gonna need uh, to endure adversity. Are you made for that? You're gonna to have to endure when people offend you. You're gonna to have to believe all things, bear all things, hope all things, endure all things. Our mindset in coming to a church is that we need to persevere in adversity. We need to love at all times. After all, is this not what our ultimate friend and elder brother did? Did he not love us at all times? When we were sinners and enemies, he gave himself up for us he was born for adversity to bear our sin to bear the curse upon himself his whole life so we should seek to be friends like Christ who love at all times and persevere in adversity but there are limits verse 18 one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor so Again, giving a pledge, putting up security for a neighbor is to say, if this person doesn't pay their debt, I will be responsible for paying their debt. Proverbs has already warned against this. It's foolish to take on this type of responsibility and potentially lose your home. Taking on a responsibility that can cause you severe consequences for you and your family is foolish. Now, neighbor here in verse 18 is the same Hebrew word for friend in verse 18. Seventeen, neighbor in verse 18 is the same Hebrew word as friend in verse 17. So verse 17 says, a friend loves at all times. And then verse 18 says, whoever puts up security for his friend lacks sense. So while we do love, we are not obligated to take on responsibilities of our friends in an unwise or potentially devastating way that may cost us and our family dearly. Thanks be to God that Christ was called to something different. He was called to take on our debt as a surety. Be responsible for our debts. A debt that He did pay on our behalf. Third consideration. So, so far, we have seen fairness. Second, we saw friend. Third, fool. This is the old man that we want to put off. And there are several verses uh, here that... That describe what a fool looks like. So jumping back up to verse 17, why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? So what this verse is talking about is you have a fool who has the ability to get an education, to study, to learn, to pay somebody to teach him, to buy books for learning. But though he has money to do that, he lacks sense. He will not desire to use his money towards that end. But instead, will squander it on foolish pursuits. I think this applies in our day to, to parents spending a lot of money to send their kids to college. I think the kids need to first demonstrate a level of maturity and natural wisdom, so that your money's not blown or wasted. The bottom line is that fools do not desire wisdom or learning. And in verse nineteen. Whoever loves transgression loves strife. He who makes his door high seeks destruction. So it's those who love transgression, those who love sin, who love to fight. They love arguing. They love controversy. They love stirring the pot. They don't care how if they offend others. They don't love making sacrifices for the sake of peace and showing others charity. They want to show they're the boss. They're in charge. They are often caught up in conflict and contention. But this shows that they have a heart that loves sin. They are arrogant and proud. And related to this, the second half of the verse, he who makes his door high seeks destruction. Now this proverb is used in a play of words here. Door can refer both to a literal door, like you walk in, in a house, and also one's mouth refers to a door out of which one speaks. Back in that day, some houses had a door on the second floor, so it was put up high, so some made their doors high. And of course, by doing this, you risk falling. Well, this proverb is using this as an analogy for proud and lofty speech, high speech, making your door high in the sense that you have proud speech that comes from the door of your mouth. And one who does this is seeking a great fall. I would Same that can happen from a literal high door of a house. They ruin their reputation. They bring many negative and difficult consequences upon their life because of their arrogant speech. In verse 20, a man of crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. So a man of crooked heart is one who loves evil, who has evil desires. His desires are twisted and set on sin. He thinks that though. He thinks that through sin, he's going to find happiness. I'm going to be happy in my sin. You know, serving and loving others is not where it's at, but my sin, that is where it's at. But the proverb says, though you think that, you will not discover good. You think you'll discover good with your perverted desires and have many pleasures, but ultimately they will not be satisfying. And the same is true with the one who has this, who has the dishonest tongue. Literally, a twisted tongue. It's an idiom for a perverse tongue that speaks perverted and deceitful things. Eventually, he will fall into trouble, if not in this world, then in the one to come, if he refuses to repent. In verse 21, he who sires a fool gets himself sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. And verse 25 is similar but it adds the heartache that the mother experiences from a foolish son. This acknowledges great grief and heartache that comes from foolish children. Verse 21 says that the father has no joy. Now, it doesn't mean that he's never thankful and has anything to be happy about, but that kind of spoils his joy. It affects his, the joys of life. His grief from his wayward and foolish child is ever present. And this implies the duty of children to honor their father and mother. They actually have a duty to bring joy to their parents. And this implies the necessity of, of parents to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. To discipline them while there's still hope, as Proverbs 19.18 says. Yet, ultimately, the parent cannot control the outcome. Because there is a spiritual condition that each child is born with that only the Lord can handle. That only the Lord can overcome through the regenerating grace of the Spirit. But the Proverbs go on to show why it is not good to lose out in joy from a foolish child. Verse 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And this acknowledges that having no joy, or that having joy is, is good medicine. It's something good. It's blessing. It's beneficial. It's helpful for this life where we live in the sin-cursed world, like medicine that that helps the health of the body. So joy helps our souls. However, a crushed spirit, weighed down with sorrow due to very difficult circumstances, such as a wayward child, dries up the bones. This is very vivid imagery of just having the life sucked out of you. It, It takes the wind out of your sail. It causes one to not have much motivation and energy. I think it's important to acknowledge people go through sorrow. And the Proverbs is acknowledging that it is like having dried up bones. I think we should have compassion on those who go through difficult circumstances. And acknowledge that. Not this pietistic mindset of just be happy. Don't worry, be happy. What's wrong with you? But to weep with those who weep, to grieve with those who grieve, to enter into their grief and bear it with them. And then Point them, though, to the one where there is joy. Because we who believe are not to be sorrowful as those who have no hope. We do have a hope that surpasses all the things in this world. We have good news of great joy, that our sins have been forgiven, that we bear them no more, that God smiles upon us, that our trials are used for our good, and that one day we will see our Lord We will be with Him. And we will be satisfied with Him. We will never grow dull of being in His presence. We will be ever enthralled and filled with wonder at our great God forever. Never again will a sad moment be experienced. So in this life, while for a little while you're going to have sorrow, yet soon, soon there will be fullness of joy in the presence of our Lord. In verse 24, the discerning sets his face, face towards wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. For so those who have discernment, who have good understanding, who have knowledge that they can apply well with great skill, they have wisdom before them. They're fixed on wisdom. They're fixed on learning. They sit at the foot of God's Word and of the wise. They give their attention to wisdom. Fools, however, do not fix their eyes on wisdom. They forsake wisdom to fix their eyes on this world, the ends of the earth, where wisdom is not found. Fourth consideration, to help us put off the fool and put on the wise man. So we've seen fairness, we've seen friend, we've seen fools. Fourthly, fetter, particularly in our speech. Verse 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cruel spirit is a man of understanding. So we see, once again, that wisdom is found in speaking less. For where words are many, transgression is unavoidable. Restraining one's words means not only to not talk so much, but also to fetter them when provoked, especially when provoked. When you are criticized, offended, sinned against, accused, etc., that is the time to hold back what you want to say. Well, this is why it is a man with a cool spirit. As opposed to a hot and fiery one, one that has great self-control and is not easily provoked, who has great understanding. One who is wise and knowledgeable, who understands God and has hidden his word in his heart, is one who has a cool, controlled spirit, he finds his identity not in his works or what people think of him, but in the righteousness of Christ. In verse 28, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise, when he closes his lips he is deemed intelligent. So it's encouragement to keep our mouths shut, to keep them more closed than open. The proverb here says that even a fool is considered wise if he keeps his mouth shut. This is this the case that, that a fool can be considered wise and intelligent by keeping his mouth shut? But how much more a simple person or a person with wisdom? Putting a fetter on our words is why. It's better to open our ears than to open our mouths. It is better to ask questions than to give answers. It is better to think that we have more to gain by hearing and learning than opening wide our mouth and giving our thoughts and May the Lord give us grace to put to death this old foolish man, to put him off and to put on the wise man Created in the image of Christ, because this is who we are as those who have died with Christ, been buried with Him, and have been raised with Him to newness of life. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do ask you would help us to apply this wisdom that we have learned from Proverbs, that we would be more and more like the wise man, being conformed into the image of Christ, and less and less like the fool that Proverbs describes. We ask for this help by the grace of Christ. We ask for your Spirit's power. Bring that conviction to bring the power to do these things. That We ask this of Christ in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.